0: Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me on First Responder Psychological Support Podcast. I am your host, Sarah Gura, and I have a master's degree in counseling psychology. I am a licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Illinois. I am also an EMDR therapist. I'm trained through EMDRIA, which is the International Association of EMDR Therapists. I'm also a registered yoga teacher, and my style is vinyasa yoga. My private practice is the self-care path in Burridge, Illinois, where I treat first responders. And today's topic is, who is Sarah? Like, who am I, and why do I think I can talk about uh, first responder behavioral health? But before I do that, I would love for everyone to just ground themselves Sometimes we go 100 miles per hour and we forget to just stop for a second before we engage in another activity. So to transition, I would love, if you could, just to take a nice deep breath that you expand your chest with. Just take a nice deep breath in, expand the chest, and then exhale. And on that exhale, maybe just pull those shoulders down and away from your ears, straighten your spine, Maybe if you're not driving uh, or wherever you're listening to this podcast, if it's appropriate, just close your eyes and notice your breath for just a moment before we get started. I think it's super important, like I said, to just be grounded and transition uh, between activities. The mind and the body really needs that. So again, this episode uh, or season, I'm not sure what I want to call this, is going to be a bit about an introduction. And for today, again, I just want to explain a little bit about who I am and how I got to this point in my career. And then, of course, the podcast following this will focus more heavily on first responders. Uh, But I was born and raised in Joliet, Illinois, uh, silly thing my mom used to say, you know, you could take the girl out of Joliet, but you can't take Juliet out of the girl. And uh, that's a little bit of a humor, uh, humorous thing for me to think about, uh, because some people definitely noticed that about me. Um, I did graduate from Joliet West High School. Uh, throughout my childhood, I was in martial arts. I got my black belt when I was 16 years old, and I was teaching uh, quite a bit. Through my martial arts career, I was prepping to go into the military, actually. In high school, I went through ROTC very seriously And I was on the drill team, the honor guard, the color guard, the rifle team, the karate team. There was something called the raider team uh, that I absolutely loved. We got to do different FTXs, and I went to a boot camp a couple times, and it was just an incredible experience. But my senior year, I was the battalion commander, uh, which was the highest rank at I think it was called Lieutenant, Lieutenant, no, Cadet Lieutenant Colonel. There we go. And everyone had expected that I would be going into the military, and I did not. I actually went to Joliet Junior College. Um, my classmates and fellow uh, cadets gave me some shit for that, but. I went to Juliet Junior College. I had no idea what I was doing. I remember them asking me about what my major was. I had no idea what that meant. What was your minor? I don't know. Are you an undergraduate student? What does that mean? I just didn't prepare myself to go to college. I had a lot of language for the military um, and for fighting, actually, but I did not have a language for academics and What I did was take all my prerequisites and then I decided I'm gonna take classes that just sound interesting to me. And what pulled me was actually the field of sociology. And very young in my college career, I had decided I want a PhD in sociology and I want to teach at a university about all these interesting things and maybe I'll get a minor in philosophy, but I never really thought about psychology. It wasn't until I went to Lewis University in Romeoville uh, that I was taking classes in sociology and psychology. And the psychology department pulled me in and said, you know, who are you and why aren't you registered with our department? If you take one more class, you're going to have a double major, uh, one in sociology and one in psychology. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I, I didn't really realize um, what was going on. Once again, I kind of just kept my nose in the books and I kept going. And at that time, uh, for my bachelor's degree, it took me five years to complete because of the sociology major and the psychology major. And then they had told me, because I had no idea, that I also had a minor in cultural studies and a minor in women's studies. Um, so that was Really fun for me and a a great time. And during all that, I was actually working at a sexual assault service center. And a little bit later, I worked at a domestic violence shelter. And through those two programs, I was focusing heavily in the field of women's studies, but focusing on the men's issues as it related to the women's experiences. So uh, when I went to high school, and taught classes. And when I went to a maximum security prison to teach classes and address women's and men's issues, uh, I noticed, you know, that part of the problem was that men didn't have a lot of support to just experience or appropriately ventilate what they were thinking and feeling. Uh, That was the approach I took when I was really young in my 20s that way. I also worked in homeless shelters, addiction centers. Uh, I started to get some interest in the, the area of sex therapy. And at one point I realized, oh my gosh, you know, I have to move on from my bachelor's degree and have a plan for graduate school. And although I applied for my Ph.D., Uh, In sociology programs, I was very poor and I was struggling financially, even though I worked full time and I went to school full time. Uh, The money just wasn't adding up and my being became overwhelmed with fear about supporting myself through a doctoral program. And I, I didn't really pick being a therapist. It picked me because I could stay at Lewis University in Romeoville and keep my full-time job. I could keep the terrible apartment <laughs> that I was living in. And I just decided, well, if I have a double major, double minor, I'm going to go from these kind of crazy and somewhat violent jobs, you know, I had a lot of exposure to violence in these different social settings, and pursue my master's degree in counseling psychology. So that just sort of worked out for me. And As I went through that program, again, I was sort of focusing on this idea of sex therapy. So I had this military martial arts background, I added sociology and psychology and was really noticing the cultural dynamics and the gender dynamics. And before I knew it, I graduated with a master's degree. My internships were focused on working with individuals and couples with sex issues. And I started to work in a private practice. I opened my own private practice upon graduating. And my supervisor continued to supervise me doing that. So that was in 2007. Anyway, some time went on and it was in 2010 when a friend of mine, really begged me to go to a training called a firefighter's life. And at the time, it was Captain Jeff Dill of Palatine Rule that was putting on this training. I had no idea who he was. And I had no idea uh, what first responders could possibly need. And I sat there in his class and was just blown away. I thought, wow, I never thought first responders would need anything. I didn't imagine them needing or wanting counseling services. And I left that training saying, well, this is this could be a bunch of bullshit. Like, how true is this? And I started interviewing firefighters and their family members. And not only did they confirm what Jeff was saying, they they were telling me sometimes worse stories. And Uh, They eventually said, you know, Sarah, if you really want to understand us, you're going to have to do ride-alongs. And I was totally up for it, and I started doing these ride-alongs. My first ride-along experience was with the Orland Fire Protection District in Illinois, and we got talking. I went to other fire departments, did the same thing. You know, I was on shift for sometimes 12 hours, Uh, most of the time a 12-hour shift, Uh, even though they were on 24, of course. But we were talking about what we were seeing. They were talking to me about their career experiences. And they asked me, you know, Sarah, why don't you make a class? And I went to another department, did a ride along. They said, why aren't you teaching a class about what you're going through? And I go to another department and they say, why don't you teach a class about what you're going through? So I said, well, okay, I'm going to try this. And I was not a public speaker at that time. I'll tell you what, I um was nervous and i sometimes would sweat through my clothes <laughs> and you know teaching a classroom of first responders about their job and what i was seeing and what i was experiencing and i for a couple of years actually experienced what i would call a speaker's crash uh, i got myself so worked up but i had so much to say and i, I would go home after these 2 hour classes and I would wonder, gosh, what do they even think about what I'm saying? And I would crash in that worry, and I would fall asleep, and I couldn't see clients until later in the day because I was trying to recover from this thing I called speakers crash. It was like an adrenaline dump for sure. And I thought, you know, I really need to face... If I am reaching these people, I, you know, I'm not too sure they were a little stoic. Sometimes I would see some head nods. It was certainly very quiet when I was speaking and I I wasn't sure how to gauge that. So anyway, I talked myself into creating a four question survey and it said something like, what did you like? What didn't you like? What do you think should be added? And is there anything else that you would like me to know? And to my surprise, I got some of the most beautiful uh, feedback ever, and I was just shocked. And for about a year, I kept, you know, putting these surveys out, maybe longer, and I was learning also from the responses. And about by by the end of 2011, my practice had been taken over by first responders, mainly firefighters. And... That's a, that's a strange change, right? So I was seeing general population. I was working with um, some very challenging, challenging cases before that uh, in the community with the prison and the homeless shelter and a sexual assault service center, the domestic violence shelter. And all of a sudden, I have this high functioning group of people uh, that are professionals in the first responder world. And they are talking to me about the things they're going through at the fire department or the police department. Um, some dispatchers and even some emergency department nurses were coming in saying, I heard you do ride alongs or I heard you presented at this department. And again, I have to tell you my shock and awe. You know, I didn't pick being a therapist and I certainly didn't pick being a first responder therapist, but it certainly happened to me, you know, and I accepted. So what happened, uh, I think it was by 2013, uh, was this idea of peer support. So I got involved in that. And I wrote a curriculum for the peer support team in Illinois. And that was a phenomenal experience. And I'm no longer associated with that group. But during that time, I also created something called Firefighter Psychological Support. And I, I did copyright that program and patent it. I also had a logo that went along and I trained, I think, maybe 15 to 20 different therapists in that program, which was also a phenomenal experience. But then I branched off to be on my own and eventually opened my current private practice, which is the self-care path. Uh, that's the practice in Burridge, Illinois. And the reason I named it the self-care path has a lot to do with how my own studies evolved over time. And the self-care path clearly is not the selfish path, but that those are two words that first responders jack up all the time, right? I, I always get someone sitting in front of me saying something like, are you sure this isn't selfish, Sarah? And so I've got a lot of people who obviously identify as helpers, savers, rescuers. And the idea of taking care of themselves sometimes seems very foreign, or unnecessary, or again, selfish. And so I named the practice The Self-Care Path because I wanted them to know that that's how significantly important attending to oneself is. Turning inward toward oneself, to care for oneself, to have a relationship with the self is so significantly important. And I want to explain that that really came to me Not only from going to college and getting a bachelor's degree or a master's degree or counseling people and all this, you know, professional career academia type of thought or stuff, it was actually from starting practicing yoga. And so at one point, I I definitely realized that working with first responders means that I am listening to human illness all day long, human suffering, human death. There's a lot of human stupidity that first responders deal with, and property destruction. And that was getting to me a little bit. Like at first, I, it was interesting, sort of like that probie year for people. You know, they're just kind of, you want to get your hands in, you want to notice, you want to get involved, you want to be successful. And I think I went through that infatuation junkie stage a little bit with first responders where it was just pure interesting but again when you listen to human illness human death human suffering human stupidity and property destruction on repeat i really noticed that that's what first responders were doing on repeat for a 20 plus year long career and so i found myself at a local gym taking these yoga classes and there was a woman who was teaching these classes that was very traditional she's just phenomenal and she left that gym and I followed her and I continued practicing yoga with her in her home and then she went back to India for a long period of time I lost touch with her but I couldn't stop practicing yoga and I couldn't stop connecting the mind and the body and understanding that oh my gosh there's you know a really interesting process going on here with yoga. And so eventually I took a yoga teacher training class and there's many many books that you read in those classes. One of them was the Yoga Sutra and it just explained life a little bit and and the mind and the body and how it's all connected and I was really impressed with that and before I knew it I was taking a lot of Buddhist psychology continuing education classes and that was also extremely interesting to me because before I was very focused on pain. I saw a lot of pain and suffering as a therapist and I you know, created a theory even during my master's degree. You have to write a little thesis and it was on the idea of pain, which I will talk about maybe in other episodes. But that focus on pain also led me to be focused in on a certain type of theory, it was called existentialism. And the root word of existentialism is exist. And if you exist, you're an existent. And if you're an existent, you're going to have existential issues. And I loved that theory as miserable as it was. Um, I mean, it's it's very enlightening and philosophical, but it focused on the meaninglessness of life and how we have to face death or time. And it talked about human anxiety and human responsibility and the choices that we have to make in isolation, and that that's our freedom. You know, we have this freedom to choose how we're going to handle meaninglessness, death, anxiety, responsibility, and choices. But anyway, I also was reading an author who is quite existential. His name uh, was Sheldon B. Kopp, uh, K-O-P-P. And I read every book that that man wrote. And one of them was called Guru, uh, Metaphors for a Psychotherapist. That was probably my favorite one. And along with Sheldon, I read this book. And I can't remember, maybe Ralph Greenson. I could be so wrong about that. But it was this black book about psychoanalytic and psychodynamic therapies. And that also influenced me heavily so you'll hear me talking about Freud and uh, the ego, and Buddhist psychology, and existentialism throughout this podcast. And again, just couldn't help myself but take more and more classes in these, you know, specific theories. And one of the things that Chicago offers for therapists is some continuing education classes in a forum called Freud Meets Buddha. And I love those classes as well. And I would go and see how much of this theory and this approach was helping first responders. Uh, it's amazing how much resistance sometimes first responders have to therapy. And yet, when I would use the approach of Buddhism or the existential reality that we're all facing, they would open up and they would change, they would allow themselves to change. So this to me was very interesting and important. And somewhere along the lines there, uh, I also met a couple of other colleagues, one of them being uh, Jessica McCormick, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist. And maybe I should briefly mention, she was amazing at helping me harness my business skills and also her approach to clients. She's extremely professional, intelligent woman. And later, uh, I met Patty Durleton. And she was absolutely curious and very focused in on being effective, I would say. So I hope these two ladies don't mind that compliment. But They both heavily influenced my path with the self-care path. And Patty one day in the coffee bar said, I got trained in EMDR. And I had heard of it, but I almost mocked it. I had almost said to myself, well, if it was really effective, then we would all already be doing it. And that was a very naive, silly statement that I made because she was just experiencing all kinds of success with first responders and EMDR. And I started referring her more and more clients because I thought I am holding back this first responders progress and I think Patty can help. So she certainly did help them and I decided I must I must try this training. So three years ago, I was trained in EMDR myself and I was absolutely shocked but delighted by how quickly these clients were not only getting better, but they were literally desensitizing their traumas. They were reprocessing the experience. They were healing things that they had been holding on to for years. And I thought that was just amazing. So with that, you know, I have continued with the idea of pain, existentialism, Buddhism, ego psychology. And I've, of course, continued my education. So there's many different ways that we can approach treating first responders, but this is mine. And a couple other books that were very influential or ideas that were very influential in me and how I you know for me and how I treated first responders that I'd love to mention them one of them was a book called how yoga works and it is not specifically about the asana asana are the the postures and the poses in yoga and I thought that's what it was going to be about but it was a story about a woman who stuck to her morals and her ethics in a prison and changed the entire community that that prison was in. And it was such a beautiful story. And it really spoke to my heart. And I kind of felt like sometimes being a first responder is like being in a prison. And you are surrounded by human illness, death, suffering, stupidity, property, destruction. I'll probably say that a lot through this podcast because that's my empathy for what your job description truly is. And you have to learn how to thrive so that you don't become a reflection of your environment. And that book, How Yoga Works, again, influenced me and the idea of what I what I want to do uh, with my career life. So the other book that I read after How Yoga Works is a book by Eckhart Tolle. And it was called The Power of Now. And oh my gosh, that, you know, really covered so much about the human condition and the human mind. And so you're also going to hear me talking a lot about how time and mental health are very relevant to one another. And after that, there was a book that came into my life called Buddhism, Plain and Simple. And that's a book that I recommend to almost every client that sits in front of me. And I would say nine times out of 10, people read that book, and they think it's extremely helpful and explains a lot about the way. And when I say the way, it's not a theory, it's not a religion, it is not a philosophy, it sort of is just the way life is. And most first responders are so bottom line that you have to get to that core or that truth right away and validate it. You know, there's this approach that I take, listen, validate, relate if you can, right, and then refer or in my case, treat. And so that book has been a very powerful part of how I treat first responders as well. Now, the next book is extremely controversial, I think. It was written um, by a woman who was not a psychology professional. Um, I have it near me, so let me take a reach. It was by Karen Elliott. It's called Existential Kink. And I didn't know what to expect. A friend recommended it to me, but it talks all about Jungian psychology. So if you know Carl Jung, it's called Jungian Psychology. It talks about the shadow or the ego. And you're definitely going to hear me talking about Carl Jung's theory, but also from the perspective of that author, because I think she hit the nail on the head. But People definitely are afraid of that theory. It's scary to them. It's offensive to them, um, but it absolutely applies. So if you if that perks any interest, I'll be definitely talking about that throughout the podcast. Another uh, workbook that I find myself recommending often for first responders and that heavily influences how I practice is attachment theory in general but there's a book called attached and another from a another book separate of it from attached called attachment theory workbook And it talks about how we do relationships and how first responders do relationships. Sometimes it's really painful to watch. And you could see the anxiety or the anxious attachment, or you can see the avoidance and the avoidant attachment styles. And we're supposed to have a secure attachment, um, but there's so much negativity sometimes in a first responder's history of life. And then why or how they chose the career and then how they do or stay and sustain in the career. And it's all reflected in their attachments. So I definitely would recommend that. And you'll hear me talking about this theory throughout the podcast. But finally, another idea that I would love to share that has evolved within me as a first responder therapist is uh, a book book. I read called Codependency for Dummies, and the reason I read that book was because almost every first responder in his or her own way has these codependent features, and the best way that I could explain that in the context of first responders is that they deny their own needs, they deny deny their wants, and they deny their preferences. And sometimes they go about taking care of everyone else as if their needs, wants, and preferences do not exist. And at some point in their career, um, usually by their 30s, uh, they might feel resentment and they might feel a lot of anger because the bucket is empty and nobody is filling it back up. And they notice they're either anxious or avoidant and their relationships are crumbling And relationships are what really helps us get through the difficulty of life, which I will also be talking about quite a bit that our relationships and love and gratitude and how we feel valued or appreciated is truly the medicine for being a first responder to to keep you alive and to keep you interested in life and happy. And yet we are not tending to our relationships because we have uh, some funky attachment styles and a lot of codependent behavior. So these are the thoughts that I have about approaching first responder behavioral health and how I got to this point in my career. And I'm sure there's many more details throughout my life that you know I'm missing out on but they they're not that significant or interesting um, to a crowd but maybe to me but not to a crowd and so I wanted to start there and just explain a little bit about where I'm coming from and how I got there and I really thank you for listening to this first responder psychological support podcast and again Uh, My name is Sarah Gura. I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor for first responders at the self-care path in Burridge, Illinois. And I think I want to leave you with this message. It's something I've been repeating since I was in college. And it comes from one of my supervisors in my internships. He used to say, do life so it doesn't do you. (laughs) Uh, And I'm going to pass that on and say the same. Do life so it doesn't do you and take good care and stay safe. And I look forward to going on this podcast journey with you. Bye-bye.